0: Hello, Jordan. What's up, Michael? Welcome to the How to Become a Personal Trainer
1: podcast. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for having me on the How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast. It's
0: wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on the How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast.
1: No, thank you. We're going to start having <laughs> me.
0: Okay. On All your right. podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the definition of a word and I want you to tell me if anything comes to mind. Uh-oh. pusillanimous, <laughs> Showing a lack of courage or determination. Timid. You know I know what this means. <laughs> you
1: know, yeah. A few you, uh, days ago, a few days ago, a story.
0: I think you can tell it better, but I'll no, just tell no, my side you of tell it. A story. I received a, a text message from Jordan with a screenshot from Google of the definition of the word pusillanimous. I think I'm saying that right, which is where the word pussy comes from. And Jordan, understanding human nature to a far, far superior degree than I, understood that last week when I said I wanted to stop being a pussy. That people would take offense to that because they thought that I wouldn't <laughs> – you like the way I said it too. That you like put the, a hard P in there. That's what I want to stop being in life. And, and Jordan correctly assumed that people would take offense to that thinking I was referring to the, the uh, sexual reproductive slang term of females when really the word pussy, meaning timid, comes from the word pusillanimous. And Jordan gave me that.
1: Jordan
0: Jordan gave me that little piece of ammo because after decades of consistency on social media, he understands what blowback can come from certain actions and behaviors. And so I want to thank you for that, my friend.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing better than when someone gets really mad at you about something, something that even if they were right, it it shouldn't – they shouldn't be mad about it. It shouldn't be an issue, but there's nothing better than them getting really mad about it. And them also being wrong and proving it to them and just watching it just deflate. Like, for example, uh, I said, amen once, like people are like, Oh yeah, I did I was like, yeah, amen. Like I agree type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I had this woman get really mad. She was like, she was like, it shouldn't be a man. Like, why isn't it a women? Mm. <laughs> and, and, I'm so fortunate. No, number one is that shouldn't make anyone angry, period. Number
0: one. You saying amen shouldn't make anyone upset.
1: Yeah, that shouldn't – because the word is amen and the word men is in it, it shouldn't make someone mad that it doesn't include women in it. And even if they were correct in that it, it that it came from uh, something related to men, which it doesn't, but the only reason that I knew that it doesn't is because – I know Hebrew and in Hebrew, amen comes from a Hebrew word, which is to agree. And that's Mm. where amen comes from. And like, Mm. it's a quick Google search. You Google it. It's like, what does amen mean? And I told, I told her and she just watching the deflation, like there was, it's, there's nothing better than watching that. So I wanted to, to send that your way when I realized, oh, wow. It doesn't actually come from the female genitalia trying to make people upset. It actually just comes from a legitimate word completely unrelated to the female genitalia.
0: The fact that that person got upset that you said, amen, mm-hmm. uh, like a very common word, a very common expression, it, it I can only believe, and I don't know if this is my wishful thinking and optimism, it might be, but I can only believe that the percent of the population who would get upset about that, whether they express it or not, is less than 0.1%. And you're a saint in my estimation for interacting with what I would call a deranged percentage of the population. <laughs> Someone who gets upset at you for saying amen, I would consider, I would consider deranged, like unstable um, for you to have this like back and forth with these people. You're, you're really a saint because I think I would just find the block button so quickly. And I, I think that, yeah, that's what I think. I love that deranged.
1: That's just what you are deranged block.
0: (laughs) I wouldn't say that. It would just be like, I'm not going to interact or not even block. Maybe just ignore, maybe just leave it in like the other tab where they don't know you saw it. If that's still how Instagram works. Oh yeah. Still Um, how it works. Nice good to know for the comeback. Uh, All right, let's get into things. (laughs) Bro, TikTok. There's a lot of news around TikTok right now. Do you see what the the Biden admin said? I believe this episode is coming out April 4th. We're recording it here on March 16th. Um, No, I did not. So obviously,
1: you know, this has been going on since Trump was in office and Trump was a huge proponent of trying to get TikTok banned in the United States, which there was a, a lot of kickback over. You know, like ever anything that any politician does, there's always kickback from the other side. But now, now it looks like the the Biden administration is trying really hard to ban TikTok as well. And uh, apparently, I, I saw uh, uh, something come out from the Biden administration basically saying we we're trying very hard to get rid of it. The only way we're going to allow TikTok to remain is if the company which White Dance? I don't I don't know the name of the company. But the company which is apparently owned and operated in China by it's a Chinese company, they said the only way that will allow this to say is if you sell the company. And so if like if you sell it to a... and I don't know what the stipulations are, but I don't think they want it to be a Chinese owned company anymore. So that appears to be what, what's currently going on, which I thought would be very relevant to everyone listening especially if you are making content if you're not making content the fuck are you doing but um (laughs) no you make content we're making content right now bro i know i Mike just gave a sad face i'm not offended if you're not listening uh, to the video pod yeah if you're on the video pod on youtube like the video subscribe to the youtube channel leave Mm. a little comment letting us know you're watching the, the youtube pods but um it's worth being very aware of because it looks like they've started to make more headway than the Trump administration did. And they are moving much closer to this actually happening. I don't know if it will. I don't know if it won't. I don't really care either way, but it is something to be very aware of. And so if you are on TikTok, try and get your people onto an email list so
0: you can move them over to another platform. Well, this is why diversifying content production to website, Instagram, Facebook, podcast, YouTube, uh, various platforms and various platforms uh, that have different degrees of your ability to reach the person, right? We've talked about this ad nauseum, your ability to reach someone on Facebook or Instagram. There's more algorithmic control from meta than your ability to reach someone via email. Mm-hmm. which is one of the many reasons we suggest starting to build an email list from day 1 even though you're not going to be making exclusive content for your email list starting to build that list is very important for that reason. Uh but yeah that that is fascinating news. I mean I don't have much to to comment on like the national security risk of a giant chinese owned company for the US um but on like a what we can control I think that's a great recommendation by you to You know, if you have a big TikTok audience, not only start moving them uh, to other places, email probably being number one, um, but also just continuing to make content in a handful of places and prioritizing the places where you're going to have control and access, control of access to your audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I don't know the national security risk either. I do think it's funny when
1: the, the main talking point from both sides is always we don't want we don't want them watching us. We don't want them like getting our data. It's like everyone's getting your data. <laughs> every company, every government, like everything. Like they're they're all watching us. Every like everything you do, they know, like everything. So it, it's that seems to be the main talking point. But from a national security risk, so? I'm sure a hundred percent. Absolutely. And people people are using incognito mode on their fucking phone. It's like, okay. Well,
0: that's, of course. (laughs) You think that's too many. But the (laughs) the, the United States government is happy to collect all that data themselves, but to have, it's something like a hundred billion Americans are on TikTok. I don't know. I I think that's a hundred billion. What am I talking about? A hundred million, sorry, Americans on TikTok. (laughs) One hundred billion
1: billion dollars you know it's cool (laughs) like Um, dr evil
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly i want
1: one billion (laughs) yeah yeah
0: or sean parker my mind went to that too in the facebook movie but uh that's i mean the u.s government would rather be getting all of that information themselves rather than it going to any other government, let alone a government from a country that could be considered our adversary, yeah, I agree i just I just highly
1: doubt that, for example, like Russia or any other country like is unable to gather data from us in a number of ways, like I, sure,
0: I, but not, but not you know two hours a day, hundred million people into a, an app that shows you essentially what people are into and aren't into you know like if they assume they have access to audio and video on your phone like being able to track pupil size time on on each like time between swipe for all different types of content I, like i think they have all this i think like main su- I, major I, superpowers have this like sure, other countries okay. all right that's a that's a better way to phrase it
1: because yeah, no, I don't think like like Slovenia does Argentina has yeah. Yeah. like, but I think like major superpowers in the world absolutely have access to all of our stuff, including the superpowers and especially the superpowers that consider themselves enemies of the United States.
0: Yeah, I think there's probably still an argument to be made that like just because they have some doesn't mean we should give them infinite. No, I agree. I I agree. I I don't
1: I don't know what's going on, but I uh, I think that we know like when I say me, I mean like the public know very little about what is actually being collected by any government. And it's just, it's funny when I see all the comments on social media being like, we don't want China to have our information. I'm like, all right, they've already got your fucking information. So like,
0: it's already gone, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. What would be your recommendation for coaches or content creators? Uh, what should they do with this piece of information? Just what we
1: said, Get make sure you get people off of your TikTok onto your email list. First and foremost, I, I think, let's say TikTok goes down. Let's just say it's taken down in the US, you can't use it. Um, then I would say the most important thing you could possibly have them on is your email list. That's like without question. I think it's not a bad idea to try and move them over directly to Instagram. Because I think what would happen is as TikTok goes down, I wish I, I would imagine behind the scenes, there are... Instagram higher-ups lobbying hard and and giving a lot of money away to higher ups in government to try and push to get TikTok removed. Because I think Instagram lost a lot of people to TikTok. So I would imagine behind the scenes there's a lot of money going to different politicians and different officials to try and really push whoever is making these final decisions to to get TikTok removed because it could only benefit Instagram, which also benefits advertisers, which benefits the investors, which benefits everybody from from Instagram and and other US-based social media platforms. So I I think that's going on a lot behind the scenes. But the best thing is get them on your email list, but also move them over trying directly to Instagram. But um, I think what I would imagine is a lot of people on TikTok, especially the younger crowd who is equally important as the older crowd, might not have Instagram yet. So it's better to give them a reason to join your email list so you can then try and get them to Instagram rather than directly pushing from TikTok to Instagram. By all means, do both. But I think email is is the priority.
0: Yeah. And right now, if you're making exclusive real style content, post it to like continue to post it to Instagram, YouTube shorts, TikTok, Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. We're not saying stop posting on TikTok, but understand what's happening and move them over what uh i've been meaning to talk to you about this i sort of
1: wanted to save this for the podcast
0: wow Um, dude i am so pumped that you're like saving things for the podcast and this is great bro this is very well i don't i don't know if you're gonna like the topic you might be
1: like jordan why the fuck did (laughs) um svb bank collapse Mm -hmm. there's a lot we could talk about what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear about the collapse of this bank, the 16th largest bank in the U.S., the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history, what do you think about that?
0: Where does your mind go? I'm too dumb. Wish we had my friend Brett Lumberg here with us. Let's bring um, him on. I'm just too Give dumb. Him a call. Call a friend. Should I call him right now? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Lundy, uh, one of my best friends. Uh, well, I think we'd have to start with a, an explanation of what fractional reserve banking is Um, And I don't even know that I'm like competent enough to explain that in layman's terms, although I will, uh, uh, which is essentially every, that's just my preface for like the the people smarter than me who are like, that's not what the definition is, you idiot. But this is close enough. Basically, if uh, uh, a bank doesn't keep dollar for dollar customer deposits on hand, so if you and and the movie, it's a Wonderful Life, one of the best movies of all time. Not for this reason, but you know, it's it's from the Great Depression era, and there's a bank run, and it's a very good movie. It's not about the bank run; it's about like friendship and the meaning of life. But um, if you deposit a hundred dollars in a bank, the bank doesn't just hold on to that money. The bank usually, if that money's sitting in a checking account, for example, the bank is paying you zero percent interest. So you're giving the bank that money so it's safe and, uh, and then the bank takes that money and they go loan that money out um, and make a return on their loan. So they loan it out as a mortgage, let's say, uh, and at a whatever it is, 6% rate, 7% rate right now, um, and then they're earning $7 per hundred on that $100 annually. Uh, They're not loaning out the entire $100. They're probably loaning out, see, and this is where I don't actually know. There's reserve ratios. There's like um, uh, laws and regulation around how much money banks need to keep on hand. Uh, 10% for some reason is coming to my mind. So like if there's a $100 customer deposit, they can loan out 90 of that. They need to keep 10 on hand. I don't, it might be lower than that. It might be higher than that. I don't exactly know, but they're loaning out most of the money. And, and so for that reason, you can't, um, like if everyone wanted to take their money out of a bank at one time, the bank would collapse. Like you can't do that. And, and one of the reasons FDIC insurance exists. So the, the federal government guaranteeing customer deposits up to $250,000 in the U S is for that reason. So that, that like scare of a bank run, doesn't cause everyone to go take their money out at once, causing bank collapse. Um, The reason why SVB got in trouble is because – trouble meaning like in a bad spot and like uh, risk of going out of business – was because they bought a bunch of uh, 10-year treasury bills like a year ago or maybe 18 months ago and they – they bought them at something like 1%. So basically they had this money that they took as customer deposits and then they bought United States treasury bills. So they essentially invested that money to earn themselves like a 1% rate. But interest rates have gone up so much since then, like the the 10-year US treasury bill is now like 5% in, in that range between like 4.8 and 6%, somewhere in there. Um, that they had to, uh, recognize a giant loss. I want to say it was $620 million Jeez. loss. Um, which, so, so, so those, those are like the, the core pieces here, uh, that, that led to, I mean, now it's, people are listening to this, it's early April. This was happening closer to early March, first, second week of March. Um, but, uh, there was scare of a bank run at SVB. Um, then then there's the two sides, right? There's like the the populist side, two sides arguing on social media, let's say. The populist side arguing like, this is a Silicon Valley bank. These are all like, like multi-deca millionaires who keep their money in there. The other banks are safe. If your money up to $250,000 is still safe, which is true. I think what that side didn't realize is that um, – Silicon Valley Bank not only uh, has customers who are wealthy individuals, they have lots and lots and lots of startup businesses that keep Mm. millions of dollars there. So Mm. while there are definitely, you know, you're like rich one-off tech bro people who have 15 million in the bank who are freaking out about losing everything over 250,000, there's also... A startup company that has eight million dollars in the bank that has, you know, forty employees who are driving Toyota Camrys and making sixty K a year, like just grinding. And, and that money is a lot of investor money too. It's not their money. The money Like investors is, could have the, been contributed to them by investors to help grow the business. Correct. The 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 company's money, right? So like they yeah. they they it, uh, p- make payroll payments out of their bank account that they wouldn't mm-hmm. have been able to make to all of those people if the government didn't guarantee deposits over 250,000. So when a lot of the tech community was pushing for the federal government to guarantee deposits over 250,000, not, the, not like guaranteed stockholders, not guarantee like the, the business from going out of business, but specifically the people who bank with Silicon Valley Bank, that's why they wanted them to guarantee that money was because mom and you know, it's, it's not mom and pop business. It's, it's a tech business, even though there's like this weird, like anti-tech narrative, even though tech companies have done so much and are, are so good for our country and innovation. Um, it's a lot of the people who would have been hurt had the government not guaranteed that money was, are, are the people who are employees of tech mm. companies who aren't like wealthy individuals by any means they're, you know, People who just have a job at a mm-hmm. startup. And and so I think the government did the right thing. That's my take on the whole. In terms of what? The right thing in terms of what? In terms of it, in terms of guaranteeing uh, customer deposits over two hundred
1: fifty thousand. Got it. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Not not bailing the bank out, but guaranteeing the customers who deposit it get at least wait, everything
0: under two hundred fifty or no, everything. No, no, no.
1: Everything. Oh, wow. But okay, got it. Okay, cool. I didn't know they did that. I didn't know they guaranteed everything would be taken care of. 95% sure that's what happened. Wow, that's incredible. I Yeah, that, I mean, that makes me very happy. I, I thought it was just everything under 250, which I was not happy about. But to to hear that they're giving everything like that, they're going to guarantee everything back. Like, I hope they do. Because that that's I think you're right. I think that definitely makes the most sense. I think it doesn't make sense to bail the bank out. No, it doesn't make
0: sense to bail the bank out at all. That's 2008 all over again. They also – they, people are like, oh, but this is a bad use of taxpayer money. In 2008, it was something like 400 or $450 billion of taxpayer money to bail out whoever, Lehman Brothers. What, like I don't remember. I was, I was 21 years old or something like that. Um, this was $25 billion instead of $400 billion, And mm-hmm. – and it doesn't technically come from taxpayers. I mean, maybe indirectly it does, but all banks like contribute money to this FDIC mm-hmm. pool. That then mm-hmm. that like twenty five billion is coming from that pool. So it's not like we increased taxation right. to guarantee it. Right. it. It came from a, a pre existing pool, and it's it, think of it more as of a backstop rather than a, a bailout. And again, it's not bailing out investors in the bank. It's not bailing out the equity owners of the bank. It's, it's only guaranteeing the customer deposits of people who bank with that bank.
1: Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong on this. Um, you feel free to tell me I'm an idiot. But when people complain about bad use of taxpayer money, which I agree, there are clear, obviously, bad uses of taxpayer money. But I see a lot of people talk about it all the time. It's like their number one complaint. <laughs> this is a bad use. And this is a bad use. And this is a bad use. And it's like, I get it, but the way that you fight against that is by staying informed and voting in the people that you want that have, that you have interests that mimic what you would like to see represented for you. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't understand that I think the majority of our tax dollars – well, I don't agree with where everything goes from, in my opinion, the majority of our tax dollars, especially in a situation like this, even if it does directly come from our tax dollars, like, you're helping out your fellow Americans. Like, if they were using your tax dollars to bail out the bank, that would be a terrible use of your tax dollars, and I I would be super against it. But, like you said, they're bailing out people who – are going to lose their jobs or bailing out people who like are, are mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. Like it's not, it's not the big elites who are behind the scenes and trying to play chess pieces with us or trying to play chess with us as chess pieces. It's, it's the everyday American people that
0: like need our help. But that, that was only one side of the narrative because the other side here, Silicon Valley, and they just think, Oh, a bank of wealthy individuals. Yeah. yeah, And by the way, I'm sure there were lots of wealthy individuals who banked there who are also pushing for, the yeah, guarantee for that reason. But, but my understanding was that it was at least equal, if not more companies keeping high amounts of Got money it. there. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes total sense. I also don't like the 250,000 limit. Like and we're starting to hear yeah, stories of, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the Greek freak Giannis basketball yeah. player. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, So he supposedly his rookie year, um, you know, made a bunch of money, rookie year in the NBA, made a bunch of money and had like 30 or like 50 bank accounts that had 250,000 each in them mm. because the government only yeah. guarantees it up 250,000, which is really smart by him as an individual. But it's like, and That's I so get annoying. that it's a, it's a very small percent of the population that is ever fortunate enough to deal with that problem, but mm-hmm. it's kind of silly. It's like, well, if you're going to guarantee 250 across infinite number of banks for an individual, why not just increase the amount
1: because yeah, st- the government's yeah.
0: still guaranteeing the same amount in total. If if you have three million in one bank, compared to two hundred fifty thousand in twelve different banks. And I think people have a very skewed idea of
1: of what it means to have over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in your bank. I think as soon as they hear that, a lot of people are like, "Oh, they're rich. It's fine. It's not a big deal for them." It's like what they don't often understand is that if if you let's say you've got a million in your bank, number one, there's actually like we we could look at like someone like a teacher. Um, there's a fair amount of teachers who become millionaires after teaching for like 30 years because they do a really good job of saving money. They invest it properly. They save it. Um, they're not buying outrageous cars or super fancy clothes. They just are very good at saving their money and investing it properly. And imagine spending your whole career saving up money of a million dollars in the bank account and, and then all of a sudden boom, your money's gone. And then everyone's saying, well, you have a million in your bank account so you you could get that money back no problem. It's like, no, you don't understand. I worked 30 years to get that money in my bank account. And then not Mm -hmm. to mention a lot of the other people, maybe someone who's younger or someone who runs a business and like they make a fair amount of money. Well, a lot of that money is there so that they can pay their employees and pay their employees salaries and what happens if that money they can't get that money back right away well they can't pay their employees to work so their employees stop working so their employees are out of a job it's like it's it there's so much it's it's narrative of like oh people with that much money are greedy and they don't need that much money it's like who are they supporting with that money who are they helping with that money what what does that money do and accomplish it's it's such a, a short-sighted view of uh, the more money you have especially if you're running a business or owning a business Usually the more money you're spending on that business, which means you're employing more people in order to help grow the business and also help more people, including the employees. So all of a sudden you don't have that money anymore. You got to fire people and they don't have jobs anymore. And now the people who you say you're for are out of a job and, and are at risk of losing their homes and all that. It's, it's a big problem. And I think it's a very short-sighted look at people who have a lot
0: of money in their bank account. Plus it's all relative.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's like, what, what is a lot of money in your bank account? Well, someone who has more than me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And this is a problem as old as time. Like Nietzsche talked about uh, the group of people he coined as tarantulas who are trying to tear people down Above them, and so it's like, well, what's rich? It's like, well, I make forty k a year, so all those people making seventy five and up should be paying way more taxes. It's like, well, I make eighty k a year, so if you're making one twenty plus, like, those people are rich and they need to be paying their fair share. It's like I make two fifty. Like, if you make seven figures a year, like, that's who we should raise te- tax rates on. Like, those are the people who need to be paying more. It's like you're on, you're just reaching down. It's always and, up. Whoever's and re- more than up you. And, exactly. Exactly. That's so true. Yeah. Probably an element of. Uh, you know, human nature, I would imagine. Yeah. 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 Envy, which is like a, I was actually doing some research into vices. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Are we done on SVB? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Whatever you want to (laughs) do. I this isn't, I mean, I, we have real content we're doing back to back, but so we'll see if we get to it here, if this is a fun one. Uh, I didn't realize how much envy and anger were vices like there are common vices that i understand sloth and laziness or i mean sorry sloth and gluttony being two very obvious ones uh you know probably gluttony because of the industry we work in and and what i see and what i've experienced in my life sloth definitely because of what i've experienced in my life um and probably yeah so, so i w- i was looking at other vices envy making that list was like oh that's interesting like i never thought of envy as a vice um this is like in the research around around like the vices in the research like you know when we when we say r- research around virtues and vi- like this is stuff that that rests outside of scientific literature right so when we say oh, okay. research okay, it's yeah. more like uh the Torah, like we're talking, like I was gonna the Bible. say, it sounds like the like seven deadly sins. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. When I when I said research right there, I was talking about googling. Yeah. I'm like between got sets it, when it, I'm sitting it. there, you know, doing some incline bench, like googling. I got four minutes got to it. rest, and yeah. uh, just interesting to to recognize vices that I can relate to. I can relate to binging the Oreos. I can relate to like quote unquote having enough and being content, and then being lazy as a result of it. Um, but I had never thought of envy as a vice. And so when you just said that, it, it sparked that.
1: Got it. Yeah.
0: Makes total sense. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole right now. One day though. We
1: could, let's, you know, let's do
0: it. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Do you have anything else that you want to discuss? Oh, dude, there's so much that I would love
1: to discuss, but I, I want to give you the, the floor on at this moment.
0: What I want is whatever you want to discuss.
1: This is going to get real meta because what I want is whatever you want to discuss. (laughs) This is going to go back and forth. (laughs) I don't have anything off on the top of my head where I'm like, we need to discuss this. I have really brought up the
0: major things that, that I wanted to discuss. I think I only have like six ideas. I've let me preface this. I've been rewatching some of our episodes back, like clips of them on YouTube, trying to like figure out how we can make the podcast better. I agree. They're good. But, but, I think I have like the same six ideas. So the thing where I'm like, oh, I want to discuss this. I'm like, well, I've talked about this four times in the last two quarters. So do people really want to hear me ramble about nutrition for the next seven minutes or talk about like some theory around carbs or like. (laughs) I've I've got a theory. I've got a theory. Okay. So. So, you know, I was
1: brought up, like, just drinking soda in my family, right? So, like, uh, that's why I tend to like, whether it's, like, sparkling water or even just Diet Coke, whatever it is. And water for me is always been like, eh, I just don't like water. I'd rather have sparkling water or something like that. But I'm really trying to just drink more water. Love that you just brought out your, your water bottle that you're drinking from right now. So... You know, you know, these like big Stanley cups are a big, not the Stanley cup. I know you're at the the hockey, which I mean like Stanley jugs, like the, the ones with water. Mm -hmm. My wife has them. She got me one. I fucking hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's the 32 ouncer, right? It's, I don't know how many ounces,
0: but it's too many fucking ounces. Is it like a to-go coffee cup that has a narrow base that'll fit in? Yeah. Okay. I'm familiar Sounded like you're just, like talking about a penis. It has a
1: narrow base. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: kind of penis has a narrow base and then gets wider? That's,
1: <laughs> I don't know, but maybe there are dudes out there. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, she got me that one, and I hate it. it it's too big. Got to carry it around all day, and it's a fucking mess. And like, it'll tip over. It's just, it's too much. And it's, it also feels like it'll never get low enough. Like I'll just never drink the whole thing, which is just demoralizing. Mm. And then she got me another one, you know, the white one that I have, which I do like, it's actually a good one, but it's still like, I think it's a little too big. So when I was just in Ohio, I got this West Side bottle and it's not really big at all, but it's like, it's a, it's a decent size, but like, you know, fits easily in the hand, super easy to drink from. And, uh, I'm just like, I've been able to chug these waters, and I keep refilling it. And my theory is that for people who struggle to drink water, if you have a smaller bottle that is less overwhelming, you'll probably end up drinking more water because it's easier to finish, and then you can keep refilling it, and it continuously is just easier to finish as opposed to one massive one. So this is my experiment. I know you're usually the guy who's like doing these experiments, but I think this is is my water theory, and I, I might make a
0: whole YouTube series about it. I completely agree. My wife struggles to drink water. And, uh, anytime we're like, if we go on vacation and I go buy a giant thing of, of bottled waters for the hotel or whatever it is, um, she likes the little eight ounces because the 16s or the 20 feel overwhelming. And, but the eights, you know, you can put them down, you can gain a little momentum, feel better about it, not have as many wounded soldiers laying around. And, uh, And so I couldn't agree more with your theory for people who struggle to drink water. The psychology of like drinking and refilling is, I think that's a a really good strategy for those individuals. Thank you, bro.
1: I also think that I'm thinking of doing like a 30 day YouTube thing where like I only drink water for 30 days. Like that's the only thing I drink. No,
0: no calories. Maybe
1: one coffee, like maybe one coffee in the morning, but like everything, which is basically just water filtered through a bean anyway. But like one black coffee a day and then just water um if I wanted to have a protein shake just to get more protein in like fine that's that's like not a big deal it's still just protein and water but it wouldn't be like essentially no soda even if diet soda none of that I think I think tea would be fine if I wanted to have tea that would be okay not like boba tea or whatever like the fuck it like with the cream and the things in it even though it's delicious just like it, it, you know, a tea bag, like mint tea that I have, but only like real water, like water or tea, and like that. That's it. Nothing else. No None alcohol. Like the,
0: no alcohol. So, no alcohol. Uh. So, so what you would be eliminating essentially is diet soda and sparkling water. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yep. Just to see. How that
1: feels, and like if I end up like getting more used to it, and and all of that, and like just because I I love sparkling water, it's just like the the fizziness I it, I enjoy it more. But I also feel like even though it's it is a vice, I think it's a vice, it's a crutch, it's a, it's a crutch as more than a vice. But I th- I wanted to give that a shot, and I think that would actually be pretty good content.
0: I think a lot of people can relate to that, and uh, I think you should do it. I'd like to see it. And good for you making that hydration a priority. I mean, you've already taken the big steps, right? Like like what kills people literally and figuratively is if you're drinking juice and you're drinking regular Mm, soda and you're drinking these like sugar, uh, high calorie dense, non-satiating liquids instead of water, like that's where the negative health repercussions are. But if you're having 12 ounces of diet soda a day and like a a couple sparkling waters and some regular water, like from the purposes of, you know, being 99% of the way there from a health perspective, you're doing amazing. That's great. But, but it is just interesting to see you break the pattern of what was probably established in childhood uh, or trying to break that pattern through this potential challenge mine is is less of a physiological health and more of like a mental
1: thing almost like taking a social media break right where it's like I I don't think social media or anything is like necessarily having a direct impact on like physical health like your insulin and stuff like whatever like you're not like becoming more insulin resistant because social media mental health dopamine all, all that stuff like you're becoming like more you just need more and more and more and I was like I always I regularly talk about the importance of being bored and relaxing and i think having even the fizziness or the diet soda a little bit here and there is another way of just like giving my brain more when i don't need that it's like i should just be okay with having water and i shouldn't need that extra sweetness and like i should i should just be cool having fucking water all the time
0: that's like in my brain what i want to do so
1: i'm gonna Mm -hmm. give that a shot
0: do you think the fizziness gives you small amounts of pleasure A hundred percent. Large amounts of pleasure. Oh,
1: that's I love those fizziness. (laughs) That's why I love Topo Chico. It's like the fizziest of them all. Mm. And it doesn't even lose its fizziness. I could leave it out for four days and come back. It's equally as fizzy. It's fucking insane. Good for them.
0: Not even paying us to say that. (laughs) Good for them. It's a really cool (laughs) idea. And the meta idea of what you're doing, if people don't struggle with water or if people like don't care enough to mimic what you're doing- the the meta of what you're doing is you are doing you're creating more intentional quote unquote pain and reducing pleasure, which from a from a if you think of the seesaw of uh, we'll use dopamine as an example you know pain on one side pleasure on the other if you're doing too much pleasure if you're drinking bubbly water all day long and then you stop drinking bubbly water you're not just going to come right back to homeostasis you're going to lean back into pain a little bit. But when you intentionally lean into pain and you can do this through – people don't like to hear it, but you can do it through cold plunges. You can do it through getting your butt whooped on the mat, getting choked out in Brazilian jiu-jitsu like Jordan used to do, but now he's the one choking people out. But you can do things that intentionally cause pain, which then afterwards bring you back past homeostasis into a state of slight pleasure. Um, Mm. And and if we think of all of the cheap dopamine that exists – social media, like looking back 37 times in the first 24 minutes of a post to see how many likes you get over and over and over again. Uh, We can go to sugar. We can go to porn. We can go to jerking off. We can go to, you know, sex addiction. We can go to like all of these things, anything that causes or or creates excess pleasure brings you back to here. So anytime you can do anything that intentionally leans into a little bit of pain is going to lead to you feeling better
1: preach clip that that's an clips nation oh, right man. there
0: i haven't even been thinking about clips
1: nation okay me either but that was so good that i immediately was like wow clips nation thanks
0: uh <laughs> i don't know what kind of seesaw this is <laughs> what else
1: you got dude that was it i was excited about that theory that i had um
0: i'm excited to see you do that
1: Challenges are great content, by the way. Challenges are very, very good content. Giving yourself a challenge, whether it's a mini cut, whether it's maybe you're trying to reduce caffeine intake, maybe you're trying to get X number of steps per day, maybe you're trying to reach a certain deadlift or a certain number of push-ups or a mile time or get the splits or anything. Any type of challenge is not only, frankly, relatively easy content to make, but also
0: people love following a challenge. They absolutely love it, so. I actually, a question popped into my head for you. And uh, okay. this might seem like I'm nitpicking something, but I'm genuinely curious um, because I'll, I'll just ask it, because I might disagree, I'm not sure. When you had a post where you're listing like things to do to be healthy or something mm. along those lines. and yeah, yeah. And one of them was sleep six to eight hours per night Mm-hmm. Why did you choose that that range? Um, So, I,
1: I'm actually very glad you brought that up because that was the one that I spent the most time on, on trying to come up with that range. Mm, really? Um, yeah, that was the longest one because I was wondering if I should go six to eight or, or seven to nine. Okay. I was going okay. to- what, what were you going to say? I don't sleep six to eight hours a night. You sleep more than that. Yeah. Did I say six to eight or at least six to eight? I thought I said at least. Maybe, maybe you did. I'm pretty. Let me just double check real quick. I said, yeah, I said sleep at least six to eight hours a night. Cool. So it wasn't like if you're sleeping more than that, then it's bad. Mm-hmm. It was uh, at least six to eight. And I, mm-hmm. I, del- I, I spent probably like a few minutes deciding between six to eight or seven to nine because realistically, there's no question that getting six hours is not as good at getting seven hours. Mm-hmm. Seven hours is, is better than six and eight hours is better than seven. Mm-hmm. After that, there seems to be a little bit of a point of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's actually negative effects from sleeping too much where you lose out on movement, you lose out on interaction. Mm-hmm. If you're sleeping 12, 13 hours a day, like you've got a real fucking problem. <laughs> but um uh-huh. <laughs> like but like I I went with six probably and by probably definitively because of my more recent situation with having a child and also understanding like it's the, it's the having a child coupled with also running a business and knowing that sometimes when you're building a business, you're not going to be able to sleep as much as you, you want to be able to for optimal health. And six for me is where you can still be healthy with that amount of sleep. But you can also still get way more accomplished than if you're sleeping an extra couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um and also there's the fact there, there not the fact, there's the there's the understanding that many people will feel like a failure. As soon as they hear that they're not getting enough. And Mm -hmm. so whether it's a mother who follows me, who has three kids and is like, she's getting, she's only able to get six at most. If I say you have to get at least seven, she's going to feel like, well, I'm a failure. And Mm -hmm. like, that's the last Mm -hmm. thing I want to promote. Even though physiologically, it would be better for her to get seven. I also know it's not possible for you to get at least seven right now. So how about I start with six and know that even though it's not optimal, it is enough for you to be healthy. I think- Getting less than that for a long period of time is when real negative health effects come into play. But there's a a lot of people, and there's a fair amount of research showing that as long as you're getting six, and it does depend on the person, different people need different amounts, that six, I would say, is probably the minimum I would want to shoot for on a consistent basis for health.
0: I assumed that close to the end of what you were saying was the main reason that being choosing what is a more realistic target for more people rather than what is optimal in the spirit of, you know, building their self-efficacy through knowing that you're checking a box that you that maybe you just can't based on what's going on in your life for a one year, two year, three year, five year window. Um, and, and we've talked, there's other areas. Remember when I said, you're very similar to Dave Ramsey in a lot of ways, the finance guy. And the example I gave was you talking about, uh, something around imperfect nutrition strategies but that are way easier to adhere to and and his thesis that you should pay off the smallest amount of debt first mm, uh, rather than yep. the highest interest rate it's like well yeah that's going to lose you some money in the long run he's like but i've worked with enough people to know that you got to build that snowball you you get the feeling of accomplishment and then you keep going um cool the and and that makes complete sense i think of uh, Matthew Walker, who's probably like the smartest dude around sleep, like the smartest scientist related to sleep. Did he, did he write the book Why We Sleep? He did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's done Rogan. And I think Tim Ferriss' podcast and like been on Peter Atia at least once and it puts a lot of really good stuff out there. And there's a there was a viral YouTube short that was the percentage of the population who can something like – like function uh the percentage of the population who can function on six hours of sleep every night consistently uh expressed as a whole rounded to the nearest whole number as a percentage of the population is zero so basically less than (laughs) 0.5 percent of people can actually function on six hours of sleep that's crazy over the long run that being said you know, do these things six to eight at least, um, and I'm in a position that I know I'm not going to be in forever. But I'm sleep. I'm averaging nine a night. <laughs> I just know that I'm not going to be in this position forever. I'm averaging nine a night, and uh, and I feel so good. I'm also doing oh yeah a lot of activity right now relative to the average person, um, but like brain and body are functioning better than they have in a long time while sleeping that much and n equals one i know but there's also plenty of research to back like that there is a there's a very small percentage of the population who can who consistently only needs four to six hours of sleep per night uh, and then most people need seven to nine yeah it makes total sense yeah the way
1: i i I explained it and you you explained it as well i think When I'm working with someone who has low self-efficacy and who, if I said, you know, seven to nine or whatever it is, and all of a sudden that mother of three kids gets super upset about it, now she makes worse choices with her food that day. She feels guilty about not eating right. She doesn't go on a walk. She doesn't get some exercise in. She feels worse about that. So then she stays up late later than she needs to keep snacking gets less sleep that night than she because she, she already feels like a failure for me. It's just like, it's that snowball effect. So I'm like, yes, it would be optimal to do this. But so much of, uh, we make concessions all the time, like all the time. in life. yeah, this would be optimal, but you know, optimal isn't always best or isn't always feasible. And something is better than nothing. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm coming from when I'm saying get at least this, because I like, that's the lowest I'm willing to go without, uh, without, without, um, seriously compromising health, even though I don't think it is anywhere near optimal.
0: Yeah. It, and it makes, it makes, I get for the people who could get more, but simply don't because they love life. They like being awake. They like doing things. They'd rather play an extra hour and a half of video games before bed, but whatever the reason, there are a lot of benefits to get to going from six to seven and a half in terms of, in terms of like appetite regulation, in terms of, uh, I actually don't know definitively on the hormone side how much it matters, Uh, but if you can get more, I would try getting more because it's, Mm. when we talk about optimization, there's like goofy kind of who cares optimization, like getting 99% Mm -hmm. of the muscle gain you could get or a hundred percent by doing a training program that you really enjoy versus doing something with like convoluted exercise selection and, you know, some theory behind it. Like that's an optimization where I'm like, okay, I'm okay having 99% of the muscle mass uh, versus something that's a bigger lever to pull, like, like sleep for so many people. I'm going to give you a
1: situation. Mm, and please. I want you to tell me what you do in this situation. You've got a client. Okay. And a, you've got an online coaching client because this is the online personal trainer podcast. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's actually this not. a client. Like uh, how to become a personal trainer.
1: <laughs> Jordan, that is actually not the name of the podcast. In fact, the name of the podcast is literally above the recording. <laughs> um, okay. Your client is currently very unhealthy and they're only getting 2000 steps per day at most, often less And they're only sleeping six hours per night. You as the coach want to attack one thing at a time. Do you bring their steps up from that 1500 to 2000 range? Or do you get them to sleep more? You go from six to seven hours. Which one do you do first?
0: Depends on the person. This is a good one, huh? For most people, it's going to be easier to increase their step count. Facts. And and so I will I, love that. I will probably start with even though I think that a greater benefit might come from sleep, there's a much greater rate of success going from 1500 to 2000 into the 4 to 5000 a day step count range. It's very hard for people who have had bad sleep habits their whole life for me to go in there and be like, "All right, here's what we're doing. Your your wife likes it 75 degrees in the house?" Uh-uh, not anymore. We're going to 65. <laughs> Okay, that oh she likes to be on social media with the blue light blasting. Well, you're gonna have to like figure that out. And you're on the blue light with her, like that's your guys' nighttime routine. We're switching that up too. Um, I'm gonna need you to get some blackout curtains and get those put up. Like here's a link. Go buy them here. Do this. Get them installed. Uh, you know this like staying up till one thirty in the morning for absolutely no reason. That's gotta go too. We're moving that up to eleven p.m. Like these are difficult changes for someone to implement. Whereas like, okay, when you get home from work, have your, not even that, it can be easier than that. It can be like, okay, on your hour lunch break, instead of, you know, eating lunch and then shooting the shit with your buddies. And then it's like, okay, do that for 40 minutes and then go for a little 20 minute walk, get some fresh air outside before you go back to your desk, you're picking up an extra, I don't know, close to 1500 plus right there. Like making these small changes, it's going to be easier to increase the step count. So to answer your question, that is where I would start. Even though I think you increase sleep, you're going to feel better. You're going to want to take more steps as a result. Um, it's a little bit chicken and egg, but I'm starting with the steps. It is definitely a chicken and the egg.
1: It's absolutely because – well, here's what I think. You see, At the beginning, you said it, you think more sleep, getting an extra hour of sleep going from six to seven might yield more health benefits. That's the only thing where I'm I'm not 100% sure and s- I'll tell you did why. Did I say that? You said, you said might. You said might. But did Wish I say I, six like, to I, seven? Yeah, cool. that was the question. The question was to go from six to seven
0: and oh, sleep I or thought, to go from- Ah, sorry. In my mind, I'm thinking we're going from six to seven to nine and, and the health benefits- are coming from the increase in sleep and the changes in behavior as a result of the increase Mm, in sleep. So I assume an extra two and a half hours is going to make it easier for you to be in a calorie deficit, which is going to bring your body fat from 47.2 to 22.9 over the next 18 to 24 months. But Mm -hmm. I I agree with you that in a vacuum going from 1500 to 5,000 steps every day for the rest of your life, nothing else changes compared to going from six hours of sleep to seven hours of sleep there's greater benefit to increase i think we know based on the research that there's more benefit from a longevity perspective to increasing step count
1: yeah it definitely is a chicken and the egg though because here's like, like you said you get more sleep you have more energy you feel better you end up moving more anyway neat probably increases as a result of it all that stuff on the other hand with walking i know personally for me that if i don't exercise my sleep is worse And by exercise, it doesn't mean it has to be an intense exercise, but even just getting my 10,000 steps or 7,500 steps, I will not sleep as well because Mm -hmm. I didn't use as much energy. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking you take someone from 1,800 steps a day to 5,000 steps a day, all of a sudden, they're going to be like, I want to watch TV still, but I'm just fucking exhausted and I'm going to go to bed. And all of a sudden, they get an extra hour of sleep or hour and a half of sleep, whatever it is. Then they start feeling better because they slept more and then they slept because they slept more than they get more energy. So I think it is a chicken and the egg. And I think it does really depend on the individual. Um, that for me, I, I deliberately asked that question in terms of right on the six hour mark and right at that like 2000 mark, because it's like, I think those are both equally bad and so it's like, well, which one do we attack first? And it's it's sort of like if someone has really shitty nutrition and really shitty exercise habits, which one do you attack first? And younger coach Jordan always attacked nutrition first because I think that nutrition – it is, it's not that I think it's, I know nutrition will have a greater impact on your body composition, especially from like, be able to lose fat more easily. Uh, I think it will more dramatically impact your health. And if you get your, your nutrition in check, your, your food quality, food quantity, all of that. Um, but more experienced coach Jordan realized that nutrition habits are harder to change first. And there's, you, you don't see the results as quickly, whereas with physical activity, even just walking the results are literally immediate in terms of the the endorphin release, hormonal changes, all of that. You immediately feel better. You do get a little bit more tired. So you end up sleeping better. So you have more energy. So it, it is always, I think it is a chicken and the egg, but it's, uh, it's, I think it comes with experience to be able to make these decisions and be like, okay, this is the one we're going to go with first because of X, Y, and Z.
0: Really well said. This is a great episode. I enjoyed talking. Is that it? Are we done for the episode? We're done for the episode, but We'll be back wow. next Holy week. Shit, it's
1: already been almost an
0: hour. Every week. Time flies when you're having fun with your friends. What's the next episode? What are we talking about the next one? In the next episode, we are talking about how to maintain online coaching client engagement. Wow. Okay. How to maintain online coaching client
1: engagement. Maybe we'll start doing this at the end of the episodes, letting you know what we're going to talk about in the next episode. I like that. Actually, you know what I used to do? I used to do this in the inner circle for probably the first like six months to a year. I always used to say what the next edition of the inner circle was going to include as my way of trying to get the members to be like getting really excited for it. So I didn't want them to cancel. Mm. And then like, eventually I was like, I'm not doing this anymore, but telling people what's to come is a very good strategy for that purpose. So I like, we'll it. see you next time. See you next week.